you're tuning into Tales from the Desolate Highway, your source for the history of post-apocalyptic literature. I'm your host, Nathan Ogloff. Let's get the show on the road, guys. no hard there is no challenging there is no easy there's just simply what do i want and how do i go about getting it how's that for a quote to start off the episode here's something else here's something else notice how my voice is silkier and smoother got some new equipment courtesy of my buddy ryan he also gave me some tips on how to make my podcast sound even better So all I gotta say to him is, Ryan, you will ride with me in the highways of Valhalla, shiny and chrome. I also wrote a scene, a little over a thousand words. feel good about that. Haven't been doing too much writing this week, been working on social media stuff. Ooh, I also cleaned my keyboard, and I mean, I really took it apart. Man, was there a lot of dust in there. But I learned a lot and feel proud of myself. Uh, okay, before I stop ranting and get into, you know, the actual fucking book of this week, I have one last thing to propose to you. Someone once told me that if I had a thousand loyal followers that are willing to spend a hundred dollars a year on my shit, that'd be good enough. I could live off of that, and those thousand would be my legion. Hence, I would call you out there, legionnaires. What do you think of that? Anyway... Here's the book of the week. After London by Richard Jeffries, written in 1885. So uh, this book comes in two parts. Uh, the first part is called The Relapse into Barbarism. The second part is called Wild England. So the first part just talks about the fall of civilization and how everything has reverted back to nature. Buildings are overgrown with vegetation. Cities have fallen into ruin. Wild animals prowl on streets people used to walk on. You know, stuff like that. This whole part is narrated by an unknown historian talking about what happened, which no one quite knows. It is never explicitly stated what caused civilization to collapse, but the historian does speculate. In particular, he's in competition with another historian named Sylvester, no last name given, who claims that it was an orb or a passing dark body that caused the Earth to become out of balance, essentially. But again, this is debatable, and the fact that Sylvester is even mentioning it is why the historian doesn't like him. The historian eventually talks about what people currently have, like dogs and cows, but they only have the big wolf-like dogs. Now, if you've ever seen the show Life After People on the Discovery Channel, it mentioned that if we went away, like all human beings just died out, it would really be the larger, more feral dogs that would survive, yeah, your Pomeranian wouldn't make it. So it's interesting that Jeffries is exploring this idea long before that television program did. Or maybe it got it from Jeffries. I don't know. And horses. They have lots of horses. Because this whole world has degraded uh, back into a medieval type of world. He also mentions that rats boomed shortly after we diminished because they got into all of our grain stock. And then because of that, cats flourished also. But then the grain ran out and the rats began to decline in their population. And so too did the cats. 
They did manage to keep alive literacy as well as what the Greeks and Romans gave us. Although, it was just a few people that escaped London. Uh, and as a result, literacy is just for the nobles. Yep, everything reverted back to that medieval state with barons, nobility, serfs, and slaves. Now, this class system doesn't just have slaves on the bottom. It has some tiers that go below them. Jeffries did have certain views on gypsies, even though he doesn't explicitly say gypsies. But below the gypsies, so the gypsies are the class below the slaves, even though he doesn't say gypsies. And then below the gypsies are indigenous peoples of the Americas, Australia, and probably even Africa. Then there's a level, another level below them, which is literally a subhuman people, but we don't hear too much about them. So, apologies, and given the time this was written in, it shouldn't be surprising that he had the views that he did. Jeffries does describe what London looks like. In a nutshell, silt piled up in the oceans, blocking off the head of the Thames. As a result, a large lake, the size of uh, one of the Great Lakes, is created. There are some islands on it, populated by Irish and Welsh raiders, so people just kind of avoid it. London itself is a no-go zone because it is super poisonous and toxic. Jeffries does mention things like the red liquid, orange liquid, blue liquid, etc. and what they all do. And all these chemicals that spilled out of factories. All of these are chemicals that spilled out of factories when the disaster happened, essentially. And that's part one, just him describing that stuff. Part two is the actual story with characters, plots, you know, stuff like that. So I should note that Jeffrey's depiction of society here set a standard, and the opening section was admired for its compelling narrative. I don't know exactly how. I'll admit I don't read these stories, so uh, sorry if I misled you on that. But I'm guessing it's basically just how post-apoc starts. So maybe think Mad Max, and you'll know what I mean. That's what he means by like a compelling narrative. And how he sort of set that standard. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, uh, the story starts with a man named Felix Aquila, a character from nobility. Along with him, he has another brother named Oliver, uh, who has a wife named Aurora. And that's pretty much all we hear of them. There is a third brother, but he isn't mentioned much. Felix spends most of his days chopping wood for his local people. But then one day he checks their family chest to see that they have no money. I should also mention at this point that because all the locksmiths are gone, the chests are locked with overly elaborate knots. That way, they can tell if someone got into their chest while they were gone. In addition to all this, they are having trouble with the other houses. To compensate, they agree to produce more food for them, but it's not enough. Felix, in addition to chopping wood, has this idea to take a canoe he has made and row it across the lake over London and get treasure from there to solve all their problems. At this point, Jeffries has already alluded to many side plots that might happen, but they don't get resolved, and this is probably the issue critics had with it. However, he was well known in his time and considered a good writer. So those of you out there getting criticism because someone thought you unresolved something, don't despair. As you can see, it happens to the better of us. Anywho, enough of this little side rant. So as Felix travels to the lake shore, 
He manages to avoid bandits on his journey and also knows there is a baron nearby who has an army he can join. Felix wants to do this for the acclaim. All of this is really to just impress a girl back home. Guys, you know how it is. Am I right, ladies? So the town is across from a river where Felix finds a generous fairy, like a car fairy, not Tinkerbell fairy, fairy woman who want, who takes him across. Felix wants to go inside the town, but the people living in a shanty town outside of it tell him if he tries, they'll just basically kill him. So he ends up staying in the tent of a slave who Felix thought was a nobleman because of his mustache. The slave explains that he couldn't shave because of an injury. Now, here to me is what I have an issue with. In this world, all the slaves and serfs are given razors so that they can shave because having facial hair is a trait of nobility. But wouldn't it make more sense if nobility was clean shaven? I mean, after all, if you were a slave and wanted to fool someone, wouldn't you just, like, not shave for a while? So eventually, he is allowed into the city and joins with their army. But after approaching the Baron and telling him, essentially, you guys don't know what you're doing, he gets thrown in jail. But then, because Felix is a noble, the Baron will hear him out. But then the Baron thinks his ideas are absurd and kicks him out. So he continues his journey. Eventually, he arrives at the lake shore with his canoe. As he rows across the water, he comes across a wind that pushes him in the direction he wants to go, but finds that birds and fishes are going in the opposite direction. After that happens, he dips his hand into the water and then pulls it out to see a black hand. Then he comes across an ashen shore. Animals are all dead. Their skeletons are everywhere. The land is twisted. Things crumble as he touches them. There are dead people everywhere. Those that tried what he's doing and failed. To make matters worse, as he's searching for this treasure, something is stalking him. This is a good description of a radioactive wasteland, and I like to think of the thing stalking him as a death claw. A little fallout reference. But that's just me. This was before World War II. This was even before World War I. So really, he had nothing else to go off of except his own imagination. So Richard Jeffries, good on you, buddy. He finds a diamond. So he finds a diamond from this place and takes that as he leaves on the canoe. As he does, an underwater or underwater explosion start following him. This is because there were boilers and pockets of air underneath, and as pressure built up within them, they went off. Uh, but he does escape unscathed. On his way back, he comes across a foreign shepherd who doesn't speak the same dialect as he does, but they manage to make it work. Uh, because bear in mind, Felix is in foreign territory or in a foreign territory. He takes Felix back to his home, and everyone around there is amazed that he managed to make it out of London alive. They even have uh, they have their own problems with raiders preying on them. I should have mentioned this earlier, whoops, sorry, but Felix knows how to use a bow and arrow when everyone else only kills stuff with clubs. So Felix manages to kill off the raiders from a distance with his bow and arrow after some trial and error. Oh man, so many and terms. Uh, after all this, because Felix just knows so much about defense and how to make things other tribes in the area flock to... Okay, let me just start that sentence over again. After all this, because Felix just knows so much about defense and how to make things, other tribes in the area flock to him. Eventually, everyone wants to him... Oh, Jesus, I can't speak right now for some reason. Okay, guys, let me try that second sentence again. 
Eventually, everyone wants to make him their king, but he doesn't want it. Probably because he's got an itch in the back of his head telling him to go home to that lady he's trying to impress. But he does agree to stay as a leader, letting everyone uh, continue to do things democratically as they always have done, only stepping in to solve disputes or when there is a war. The book ends with him leaving without anyone knowing that he's left, to go back and get the girl and solve his family's problems. And that's the book. We don't actually uh, see him arriving back at his home. We just see him leaving. Uh, So this book did have, or this book did influence another book I'll be talking about in the coming weeks, The Purple Cloud. Some critics didn't like the second half, of course, because someone... Always going to have an opinion about something. But even if they didn't like it, they all agreed that chapters 22 through 24 were some of the best. But that was the part where uh, Felix arrives in London and the Deathclaw, quote unquote, was stalking him. Uh, this also wasn't Jeffrey's first rodeo into this genre. He did write some short stories about catastrophes earlier in his career, taking elements from those works and sprinkling them into this book. So, uh, yeah, the, there you have it. After London by Richard Jeffries, everyone. If you can, pick it up. If you can, well, hey, uh, you uh, at least got the gist of it like uh, I did. Next time on Tales from the Desolate Highway, we talk about... Well, okay, first, uh, here's what we're not going to talk about. So, uh... On my list, a.k.a. the one on Wikipedia, it does mention the Time Machine and War of the Worlds. Uh, I'm going to be skipping those because, A, I don't think War of the Worlds is really post-apocalyptic. I just, I just think of it more as an alien invasion story. And, B, the Time Machine. Sure, you can say it is post-apocalyptic, but I feel that everybody is so familiar with both these books that I wouldn't really be introducing anything new or telling you about something that you may have not heard of so uh, unless popular demand asks me to go over them i'll be skipping them and going on to the purple cloud by mp shield a volcano erupts and floods the world with cyanide gas how i don't know but we'll find out next week You've been listening to another episode of Tales from the Desolate Highway. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at UnusualAuthor and Instagram at UnconventionalAuthor. As always, thanks for tuning in.